lot of people have given up on saving the world and trying to be a successful business person or a good parent and are concentrating instead on trying to make a half-decent cup of coffee. <laughs> and then they have their cup of coffee. But maybe you can't afford all these special appliances. Maybe you've already spent your disposable income on college tuition or bail. You need a cheaper way to make coffee. All you need is a lawnmower with a grass catcher on it. Then what you do is you take your coffee beans, you make a pile of them on some smooth, hard surface, like a paved driveway or a sidewalk or the roof of your car. And you set the blade as low as she'll go, Give the beans a quick buzz, and I'm sure they'll return the favor later. Okay, now we take our coffee grounds, pour them into our coffee pot. The piston and cylinder of an internal combustion engine use exactly the same mechanical principles as a coffee punch. Oh, wait a sec, wait a sec. Let me put my coffee mug under the exhaust pipe first. Okay, now you just pour the coffee into the carburetor. You can say to your guests, who wants more coffee? More. And here's another bonus. With the carbon monoxide mixed in there, this coffee won't keep you awake. Remember, women don't find a handsome. It's your least find handy. So you are in big trouble if uh, people don't find you uh, handsome and they don't find you handy. And that's the world I live in. Poor Cindy, you can think of her because I'm neither of those things. So why do we even uh, throw that out there? We're going to get into a passage where the main character, at first glance, is handsome. And because he's handsome, things are supposed to come together. And we're going to find, as we unpack the story over the weeks to come, that, yeah, he may be handsome, but he's not necessarily even handy. And for his role, his situation, it's more important that he's handy, skilled, than handsome. And we live in a world today where the external, the veneer, the outside counts for more than the inside. And we all get caught up with it. We size somebody up first by their appearance. I remember in middle school, and I'm going to be careful about saying this guy's name because uh, I don't know if he's watching, friends with him on Facebook. And uh, I remember meeting him in seventh grade. We had middle school, seventh and eighth grade, then off to high school. And meeting him and thinking, it's going to sound terrible, he really was kind of sexy. And it kind of shocked me the first time I met him. He just, he just, he just, I, I don't know what it is, but I just was like, wow, it kind of caught me by surprise. And uh, yet, as time went on, I discovered his inside, and he was a great guy. I really liked him. We were friends. And eventually, as time went on, I really didn't even notice the exterior. Because, you know, the inside matters. But again, we live in a society where handsome, attractive presentation eclipses the inside. Or even eclipses handy. 
We're going to look at this a little bit more, but uh, we're going to be talking about Saul. And Saul, a most handsome young man, there was none finer. He literally stood head and shoulders above the crowd. If you remember from last week, we're getting into motion where Israel, God's chosen people, had rejected God as their king and wanted a king like the other nations and was putting their trust in this idea of having this representative. So Saul looks the part. He looks like a king. He's handsome. And as we're going to see, his skills in leadership are extremely lacking. And there was plenty of time for him to grow into it, but he doesn't grow into it. The exterior took over. And then uh, because he was over his head, um, he became very insecure. And rather than figuring out that insecurity, that insecurity creates moments where he goes after people that really are his friends, really are his supporters. So this idea of exterior over the interior. Um, Joseph was another one of those guys. Joseph was well built. If you know the story of Joseph in the, in the coat of multicolors, Older Testament, not New Testament, not Jesus' father, but from the Older Testament, uh, one of the original uh, 12 when it comes to uh, Jacob and Israel. Jacob, Israel, Israel's name was first Jacob and then uh, changed to Israel. And he was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife, took notice of Joseph. And if you know the story, because uh, I'm funny, that's icing on the cake because Joseph actually was a man of substance. And he was such a man of substance that anything he got involved with, he did so well, and his exterior became secondary, uh, came a, a third or fourth or way down the line but his interior reflected in all he did. And we're going to see as we unpack this whole idea of seeking a king, trying to find someone to feel security in, feel good about it. We do it in elections. We do all this stuff. Uh, we're going to find that, uh, again, it, it, this needs to be, we need to have this king. And we just celebrated uh, Easter, risen Lord, empty tomb, and ultimately, all of this points to Jesus, and we in this time period, in this season of world history, look towards a day where he comes back, not as a suffering Savior, not as the Lamb of God, but a mighty lion, a roaring lion, where he resets everything. So we wait for that. So anyone that uh, gets put into the leadership place because of the human condition, even the best even the best will be human beings. And we even will see that with David. The best Israel had to offer wasn't, in a sense, enough because he was just human. So as we, as we look at this and we look at Saul, really, this ought to be our little theme. If women don't find you handsome, they should at least find you holy. Um, and the idea of holy is this idea of being separate unto God. Uh, if you've said yes to Christ, 
you are practicing holiness as you work out your salvation. You're not working for it, but you're integrating it into life. You're integrating the way of Christ into your life, the way you, you, the way you work, the way your relationships are, uh, the way you express yourself, the way you give yourself away, the way you serve in the community, serve in your neighborhood, serve through the church. You, you, you are moving in that direction because you want to live your way. You want to be a holy instrument, and that sounds so dramatic. I mean, you say, I can't be a holy instrument. I'm just an ordinary person. Well, no, the scriptures are made up of ordinary people that move in the direction of holiness. They try to be on the path of righteousness. They weren't perfect at it, but they tried to be on the path of righteousness. They were moving in that direction, and God uses them significantly, extraordinarily. It's amazing. The Bible is full of these people, and there's like this tipping point. Saul could have been one of those. But as we look into his life over the weeks to come, we're going to see that at those intersections where he could move towards holiness, move more towards righteousness, insecurity and a lot of things caused him to go in a different direction. Uh, we read in Philippians, I don't have time to go through the whole idea of holiness. If you're really interested, go online and go to www.gotquestions, type in holiness, and you will find as much information as you want. Different pages, different aspects of that. I'll leave that in your hands. But Philippians says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not saying you obey all the time, but again, you're in that path of righteousness, you're listening, not only in my presence, now that's a great moment when you don't have to have the boss, you don't have to have the spiritual leader, kids, you don't have to have your parents watching. I had some boys come over and help me pick up sticks so I didn't run over them with my lawnmower because my director of lawnmower uh, planning said don't do that and I honored that and they came over and picked up all these sticks and they did a great job I didn't have to like watch them I didn't have to sit on a chair and go oh, keep moving keep moving and, and and they just did it so this idea of uh, not only in my presence Paul is writing it's a great time as a parent when you are kind of behind the scenes and you watch your kid do the right thing not because you're in the room because that's a part of who they are. God takes that same pleasure, but Paul took that same pleasure with the church of Philippi. But now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation, integrate it into life, not work for your salvation, with fear and trembling. In other words, this is important work. You ever played that game, Operation? Only a couple nods out there. You live deprived childhood. I'm very sorry. You know, and, and, you know, you get in, and it's just a game, right? But you're like in there, you know, you're going there, you know, and you're like freaking out. You're so cautious about it. Or Jenga, you know, you're moving, this, you know, and it's, the pressure is just on. With fear and trembling, with awareness, you and I should approach our faith. Not because we're scared of God, but we want to do it right. Do I put more focus and attention on doing Jenga or playing operation than I do with miraculous faith. Fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. What a wonderful thing. When you say yes to Christ, God joins your life through the Holy Spirit. He indwells you, becomes a part of your life. 
destiny, works in you, and acts in order to fulfill his good purpose. You get to be a part of his good purpose. No matter who you are, no matter how ordinary you think you are, and how many of us think we're extraordinary, he still will use us even though we're kind of proud. <laughs> he'll, he'll still work with us. Um, so this idea of uh, working with us. So this inside, uh, not outside. Now, now, as we talk about this, and I, I come back to this every once in a while, we need to remember that the Older Testament has a lot to say to our lives. It's God's word. And, you know, we think of the Older Testament, the Old Testament being really old. What we're talking about right now is maybe 3,000 years ago. But the New Testament's pretty old, too. It's like 2,000 years ago, 1,900 years ago. So it's the Newer Testament and the Older Testament. But God wants that in our lives to speak to our lives. And the Holy Spirit, again, helps sort all that out. Therefore, my dear brothers, as you have always obeyed. Whoop, I'm on the wrong one. I'm reading it again. Let's see, here we go. What was written beforehand is meant to instruct us how to live. Older Testament, all scriptures now. The scriptures impart to us encouragement, inspiration. I don't know about you, but there are definitely days where I need inspiration so that we can live in hope, in a hopeless world, and endure all things. We sung about those kinds of things. Now may God, the source of great endurance and comfort, grace, you with unity among yourselves, which flows from your relationship with Jesus, the anointed one. It's interesting, the overflow of, of, of obedience, of following God's lead, isn't just that you have the strength to endure all things, isn't, isn't just getting through the hopeless days. It means that you can do it with other Christ followers. That's why we emphasize community groups. Uh, that's one reason it's good to be on a service team, a volunteer team, because you're with other people. It's, it's almost being with the other people is almost more important than the job you're getting done because it helps you. And then if you really are walking with God, when I am really are reflecting God's grace in my life, his change in my life, then it flows into my relationships, and I actually am a guy who cooperates with other people rather than rather than being disunity. It doesn't mean we're all clones, but we we move along because we're trying to move in this direction. And we would say it here. We're trying to make a difference in people's lives by leading them in a growing relationship with God. Interesting that Romans 4 or 15, 4 through 5, when he talks about Older Testament, he's actually referring back to a Psalm 69.9. You can actually look at Romans 15.3 and you see it in there. So Paul himself is saying the Older Testament counts, it speaks to your life, and he's actually doing it in this letter to the Romans. So with no further ado, let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 9. Verse 1, and we need to remember that uh, if people don't find you handsome, they ought to find you holy. And not to pick on Saul, we're going to see that he's lacking in this. But because of that lesson, and that's another good thing about Scripture. Scripture doesn't sugarcoat everything. It doesn't give us all the good stories. Scripture shows us the bad, the ugly, the true. Doesn't hide that, which just to me reemphasizes the fact that it is God's word. Because if I was trying to create a movement 
of faith or anything of spirituality. I would just want to tell the good stories about how it works so good. I wouldn't tell the bad side, the underbelly. And, uh, you know, that is not the case with Scripture. It gives us everything. So uh, chapter 9, verse 1, you can see, you can look along on the the rack Bible that you'll find around you. If you don't have a a Bible, please take that as a gift. And also you version, we find that very helpful. There was a Benjamite, a man of standing whose name was Kish, son of Ebel, the son of Zerah, the son of Bekloth, the son of Adahi, of Benjamin. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome as a young man could be, could be found anywhere in Israel. He was head taller than anyone else. Now, the donkeys belonging to Saul's father, Kish, were lost. Can you imagine this? Uh, your, your, your cars are lost. Uh, we needed these donkeys were uh, what got the work done, how you rode around. So this was a, a big deal. And Kish said to his son, take one of the servants with you. So Kish has uh, got, some, got some dollars because he's got servants and got donkeys. Take one of the servants with you and go look for the donkeys. So he passed through the hill country Ephraim and through the area of Salsha, but they did not find them. So they went into the district of Shalom, but the donkeys were not there. Then he passed through the territory of Benjamin, but they did not find them. I don't know about you. This is, this is days. I, I lose something, and I'm ready to give up, but they're, they're still going along. When they reached the district of Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us go back, or my father will stop thinking about the donkeys and start worrying about us. But the servant replied, Look, in this town there's a man of God. He is highly respected, and everything he says comes true. Let's go there now. Perhaps he will tell us what way to take. They're talking about Samuel. And uh, again, as this all starts to unpack, I want you to take the thought, Saul is the guy who's going to be anointed king. Saul is the handsome one, head and shoulders above everybody. The one that stands out a crowd is just wow. And we find the servant being the one with substance. We don't even know his name. We won't ever know his name. Maybe in the next chapter of life when we get to heaven, we'll bump into him. I don't know. But for now, we don't know who he is. He's just ordinary. We start thinking about Saul. We don't start thinking about this servant. And we're going to see that this servant is prepared. He's a man of substance. He's ordinary. And sometimes you and I just feel so ordinary that we don't have anything to offer. If it wasn't for this servant, I don't know how this all would unfold. They would have gone back. There would have been some other way to anoint him if he was the one or there would have been somebody else. But this servant makes all the difference. He says, come on, let's not give up. We can keep doing this. And he also has a eye towards God. Maybe God can help us in this situation. Saul's not even thinking those things, but the servant is. So Saul said to the servant, if we go... What can we give the man? The food in our sacks is gone. We have no gift to take to the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered him again. 
Look, he said, I have a quarter of a shekel of silver. I will give it to the man of God so that he will tell us the way to take. Formerly in Israel, if someone wanted to inquire of God, they would say, come, let us go to the seer. Because the prophet of today used to be called seer. Explanation there. Good, Saul said to his servants, come, let's go. So they set out for the town where the man was. Again, this servant is great. He's prepared. He's ready. He's a person of substance. He's thinking about God speaking into this problem they have. And Saul, it's right over his head. But he looks good. I mean, he looks good. But inside, not too much. As they were going up the hill to the town, they met some young women coming out to draw water, and they asked them, is this, I love this, is the seah here? That's the way we say it back home. We said a seer here, but seah here, and is he there? And uh, he is, they answered. He's ahead of you. Hurry now. He had just come out of town, for the people have a sacrifice at the high place. Can you imagine this? You know, we see this happen a lot. Women gathering water. We see this with Moses. We see this with um, uh, Isaac, uh, no, uh, Jacob. We see this just all over the place. Uh, And, uh, you know, just doing normal, ordinary things. It's great that these young women are there. The timing is perfect. If the young women weren't there, they would not have been able to say, the sea is here. That's what they said in the original Old Testament. Um, Hebrew, but anyway, so so as soon as you enter the town, you'll find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. The people will not begin until he comes because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterwards, those who are invited will eat. Go up now. You should find him about this time. Again, everything is lining up. Pause for a minute. God is involved in all of your life. Even those of you who haven't come to terms with maybe you're saying, I'm still not sure if there is a God or I think there's a God, but I don't know if he's a personal God, if he really cares. He just set things in motion. He's kind of taking it easy up in heaven somewhere. Um, He cares. He's aware. And he's aware not of the big showy people. A lot of the big showy people are hollow inside. Not all of them. But he's mindful of the ordinary people and these girls you can just imagine they're getting water and all of a sudden they look over there and there's Saul they probably don't even see the servant they're like whoo who's that handsome guy I have not seen anybody that handsome and you know and they probably got their lipstick out and you know and you know how do I look you go talk to him no I'm not talking to him you know you know all that kind of stuff you know and uh, that's all going on here but all these people are ordinary people They went to the town, and as they were entering it, there was Samuel coming toward them on their way up to the high place. Now, the day before they came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I'll send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people, for their cry has reached me. Love that last cry phrase their cry has reached him what's your cry do you have a cry right now know without a shadow of a doubt your cry reaches him 
it reaches him. He hears it. He is engaged with it. May not feel like it. I love to say this at Christmas time. Sometimes, you know, leading up to Christmas, you know, God seems to be silent, but he's not still. He's working things. In this story, we see him working things. Some of you who have uh, can can look back at your life and say, "Yeah, I remember when it, he seemed very quiet, and I was crying out, and all of a sudden things came together." Or he gave you the strength to walk through it and in it, and he's with you. Sometimes the deliverance of our cries would be nice, but the real deliverance of our cries comes with the presence of God. We've got that verse in Philippians that says, his peace transcends all understanding. What does that mean? It, it, you can't wrap your mind around it. Have you ever had a time where life is just blowing apart? You slow down, you're heartbroken, and somehow you spend some time with God, cry out to him, and nothing changes but your heart changes. It's not just positive thinking. It's not just you're aware of the presence of God because he has heard your when Samuel caught sight of Saul, ooh, who's that handsome guy? The Lord said to him, this is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. And you remember from last week, this is still hard for Samuel because Samuel has been rejected. God has been rejected. Saul approached Samuel in the gateway and asked, would you please tell me where the seer's house is? Again, he's kind of uh, not aware of what's going on. I'm the seer, replied Samuel. Go up ahead of me to the high place for today. You're to eat with me in the morning. I will send you on your way and will tell you all that is in your heart. Ooh, I don't know if I'd want to. Would you? No, thank you. I don't want you to tell me all that's in my heart. Thank you very much. But uh, that was what Samuel said. As for the donkeys you lost three days ago. Do not worry about them. It's interesting. He says you lost. I read some people that said that's because Saul lost the donkeys. That's why he was on this mission. We really don't know that. Um, you know, uh, but uh, he's out there getting them. Don't worry about them. They've been found. And to whom is all the desire of Israel turned, if not to you and your whole family line? What in the world does that mean? That means Israel wants a king. They're seeking a king. Have the answer. Again, <laughs> Saul just kind of really doesn't uh, see it. He says, Saul answered, But I'm not a but am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? If you go back to Judges, you can look at that and see how the Benjamites were almost wiped out because they harbored some people who'd done some horrible things. Uh, we're not going to get into that right now. It's just a crazy time. Again, the verses all end with there was no king in Israel, so everybody did as they saw fit. Just a, a wild, wild west, worse than that. Uh, but I'm from the smallest tribe of Israel, and is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? Then Samuel brought Saul and his servant into the hall and seated them at the head of those who were invited, about 30 in number. Samuel said to the cook, bring the piece of meat I gave you, the one I told you to lay aside, 
So the cook took up the thigh, significance there, with what was on it, and set it in front of Saul. Samuel said, here is what has been kept for you. Eat, because it has been set aside for you for this occasion. From that time, uh, from the time I said, I've invited guests. And Saul dined with Samuel that day. All this is in motion behind the scenes. 30 people, Samuel, Saul's trying to get it, and there is this servant. So, real quickly, the idea here is God's directing roles. God is in motion. He hears our cries. He knows what's going on in our life, and we need to be able to rest in that. We're not going to look all through Acts 17, but you can see it's all this idea of God's providence. God is on the move even when you're not aware of it, even when gas prices go crazy high, when there's crazy things happening in the world. God is still doing something. And you wish he said, why doesn't he do something else? He's moving everything to a point in history where Christ will come back. It's not always pleasant. It can be really hard. But those of us who have said yes to Christ have a guaranteed second chapter of life in the presence of God in a revitalized, refreshed new heavens and new earth. We don't know all the details, but Scripture clearly points to that. Jesus says himself, I go to prepare a place for you. So that is in motion. So even if from this part, point forward in your life god couldn't didn't show up you'd say he's not doing anything in my life it just stinks you do know that jesus is moving in a direction of preparing a place for you not for a week not for a month's vacation not for a cruise but for eternity forever so we have to bank on that so we say how can i bank on that jesus even prayed for the disciples, that his followers that would come after he had gone back to heaven. And he said, uh, has a special place in, us, in his heart for us because we've not seen him physically. We've not been there. And Jesus even acknowledges that faith requires. So when we think about plans, when we think about directions of God's role, uh, Proverbs 16, 9 uh, says this, in their hearts, humans plan their course. People can plan what they want to do, but the Lord establishes their steps. God's establishing your steps. And it doesn't, it's not just for the bigwig Saul's that externally are like, wow, but you wonder about the substance. It's for the ordinary. That servant, those girls were in the right place at the right time. God had ordered their steps there's this there's this boundary god places us in this big circle and we have to movement to do our thing and and we've got self you know we've got choice and all of this and then you've got god's plan and he knows all that's going on i can't figure out predestination and free law i can't match the two together i know the two exist but that's all going on and he orders our steps so we need to realize that god is involved in your family background you may say "Ooh." I had a tough family background. God's brought you through that. Uh, not to minimize it at all, but you have some experiences that can speak into somebody else's life. 
Believe it or not, you can come alongside somebody and encourage them in this hard, difficult thing you've experienced. God began by making one man, and from him he made all the different people who live everywhere in the world. He decided exactly when and where they would live. And I joke with you, but I don't joke with you. I am happy that I live in a time where there's time and you don't have to die in prison. Very happy about that. Very happy about that. Very happy that I have something called a cell phone. I know some of you think, uh, you know, you got to use them wisely. But I love the fact that I have my phone in my pocket. Not right now. Don't start calling me so many tricky people. But, uh, you know, I just, I, I love where I am now. I love that I turn on a faucet, there's water. I don't have to go out to the well. I, you know, just all those kinds of, of kinds of things. So God chooses exactly where he's placed me. It's not an accident. God is involved in destruct. Dis- I'm just gonna have to probably nice and loud. Thank you and hold ups. All right. So when the waters are rough, He is involved in that. And uh, you know, we could go through this whole debate whether He's the source of that. Is it the broken world? But He is involved in that. He understands what's going on. He hears the cries. Uh, it's good that the people were crying out. They needed leadership. And they will come to time they realize that the way they went about it was wrong and all of that kind of stuff. They're going to find David having a heart after God. They're going to find that he is wise when it comes to shepherding the people, but he is not perfect. God is involved in our disrupt, disruptions. God is also involved in the people he's placed around you. He is. They're there for a reason. They're a reason to be a part of your life. And you can see that it was good that Saul had his servant. We don't know how the story would have unfolded without that person. So uh, the ordinary person behind the scenes is really instrumental in Saul working out his life and following God around. We could take time and look at Ecclesiastes. You're very familiar with this. Two people are better than one. It goes on. It says three are even better. Application to three, you can have your friend. You can have sometimes it's your spouse, but that third strand can be God himself, and that makes much difference. God is involved in the scheduling of your life. He had all this planned out. He had told Samuel day before. He has all this planned out. God has plans. I, I can tell you story after story where it didn't seem like in the moment, but I look back and I see God ordering my steps. I had some wiggle room in there, but he was ordering my steps. Yes, I need to be responsive to him. Yes, I needed to, to, uh, to um, surrender. We sang that. Sometimes it was really felt like a surrender. And uh, other times we just kind of go with the flow, but he is involved in scheduling our lives, and we see that. He knows your past, present, and future. He knows it all. So he knows your past, good things you've done, not so good things you've done, the not good things you've done. He knows what's going on today. He knows what your future holds. Doesn't catch him by surprise. And he is always always on time. 
told you this before. This was just fresh. Um, Cindy and I were looking for a place that would be able to have my parents live with us. We had a, our own apartment, and uh, it, it was taking forever. We looked at places. We then started getting building plans to add on to our house and all this kind of stuff, and that was going to be a little wonky, but we were going to do it, get up a, approval from the town and all that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, poof, there was this place in Rhode Island. Of course, it was just what we wanted. And I see God ordering our steps. God, he is always faithful. Always faithful. It's, it's, uh, you, you, you can bank on that. You can be faithful. I'm not, my perspective must be off. I'm not seeing things right because God's faithfulness never, never, ever Going along with this, God has a blueprint for our lives, uh, perceives your present situation. Uh, he knows he's planned things out in advance. Uh, the very day before uh, he had confided in Samuel, uh, he has a blueprint for our lives. He knows the future. I love uh, the Ephesians passage. Let me get there for it in a second. That talks about God pre-planning good works for you and I to be involved in. Uh, they're just they're, they're like they're just like in order, and we just we just kind of stumble into them. The question is whether we pick them up, ignore them, move with them, uh, go along with them. Um, again, he's always in motion. Things are always coming together. Uh, you know, there's this great debate: Are we living in the end times? We're always closer one day to the end times. So we have to live like. God could come back and everything could go tomorrow, or it could be another hundred years. We've got to live with in that tension, in that balance between the two things. And also going along with that, there's this idea that there's a need-to-know basis. And there's a lot of things that uh, we don't need to know. A lot of times in Scripture, it's like if I pulled up one of those blinds really quickly, pulled it up and shut it down, and you, but if you were looking out the window, you would have saw something out there. You might be able to remember some of the things. But the point is, is that there's something out there. The point isn't to give you exactly what's out there. In Scripture, especially when you get beyond the good news of Jesus giving his life for our sins, uh, making it possible he's in a relationship with God, rising again, all of it, when you start to get out into some of the uh, surrounding truths that are, that are important to know, but they're out here, some of those things, some of the prophecies, you're just pulling the window up, the shade up for a second and shutting it down and you got a glimpse and you know that there's something outside and there is something coming the lord guides our steps and we never know where he will lead us that's good and bad isn't it <laughs> isn't it because <laughs> sometimes i'm happy i didn't know what tomorrow will hold i want to enjoy today be aware there's a tomorrow coming but I don't want to be so preoccupied with tomorrow that uh, when tomorrow hits, it's, 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 it steals everything from today. God has supernatural engagement set up for us. I was alluding to that earlier, and that gets into that Ephesians passage. God has made us what we are. In Christ Jesus, God has made us new people. So we would spend our lives doing good things, Again, not to earn his love, but as a byproduct of who we are. And he has already planned us for us to do. And so you and I are in our sweet spot where we live out what he's planned for us to do in advance. 
And so when we talk about serving, and we've talked about that a little bit, we're not just trying to get a job done. You've heard me say this a zillion times. It's about your spiritual growth. If you, as a Christ follower, are not giving your life away in, in, in planned ways, strategic ways, also just on the fly, inside, outside the church, wherever you go, um, your spiritual growth is hampered. And we're about leading people into a growing relationship with Christ. So we want to give experiences where you can give your life away as God has made you. And that's one uh, of the points of being a part of worship arts or the children's ministry, mowing the lawn, whatever, whatever it may be. Um, often our things are unlike what you expect. Uh, Saul wasn't expecting this. The servant, they were on a mission to find donkeys and they found something completely different. And when we think of these plans, they're unexpected. We can't like prepackage them. Some of the joy of walking with God is being, being in an interesting relationship with him. It's not robotic. It's not all like you're just a robot and it's just do-do-do. It's living in the moment and seeing how God shows up. Yes, it can be very uncomfortable, but the more we do it, the more comfort we have in going, knowing that God will show up. And his ideas, his blueprints are always, his supernatural appointments are always better than ours, what we're thinking of. So when it comes to the ordinary, I hope you've gotten this. Ordinary people make a difference. The wild people might, but most of us are ordinary people. Be good with that. The servant of Saul was extraordinary with what he did. Without him, who knows where Saul would have ended up. Without those girls getting water in the mundane day after day, you know, they go out and get the water and they do it and it's a hassle. But them being at the right spot at the right time, that ordinary mundane stuff made a difference. So with God, the ordinary can become extraordinary. So don't buck it. Don't feel disappointed. Yes, always be the full you can be, but don't get discouraged when you're ordinary, going through the motions, because that can become extraordinary. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for your love for us. We thank you for this life lesson. We thank you that you include the story of Saul. We'll talk more about it in two weeks. I just ask that you would help us to see ourselves in the story. We thank you for the gift of your word. I'd ask that if there's anyone here who's never said yes to you, they may know a lot about you, but they haven't said yes to you, this might be the day they say yes and begin their relationship with you. For those of us who have said yes, I pray that we would say yes every day. And sometimes that might mean every hour. Help us to live that surrendered life. We ask all of this in the wonderful name of our Savior, Jesus Christ.